It was a dark and stormy afternoon. Eight students gathered round a table filled with implements of dubious use. Borax, scalpels, scissors, bone-crushing cutters, glass eyes, The instructor ordered the disciples to select their specimen. They have come to bring life. Alive! It's alive! It's alive! Well, not exactly. Welcome to the Halloween episode of Valley 101. I am your host, Kaylee Monahan. Today, I have a story that will make your skin crawl. Light some candles, pour yourself a drink, and get cozy. We're about to embark on a gruesome tale that involves dead bodies, lucky rabbit's feet, and some curious nature. Run, rabbit, run, rabbit, run, run, run. <laughs> the group of eight selects from bags of rabbits. This one's white with a little bit of grays and some and that one's got color. You know what? I like I like the brown one. Actually. There you go. Yeah, thank you. I always take what's left over. Sure. Which is just fine. But if you guys are ready to get going, we're gonna pull a rabbit out. They're sitting in the back room of a small shop, aptly named Curious Nature. The shop front is filled with skulls and skeletons, pinned insects, and various stuffed creatures. And they offer several beginner taxidermy classes a month. And today's class is making jackalopes, those pronged horned rabbits of local legend. And they're a bit a little, uh, frozen, which is great. We're only going to use the front half of this rabbit. So I'm going to, and I'm going to show you how to skin it. But see how they're kind of a little bit frozen, which is better than them being really, really thawed out. But um, you want to take and start working his front legs a little bit, moving them, and maybe loosening up his neck, just to kind of loosen up because it's frozen. Back Doug James taxidermist and owner of Frank James Artistry, is the teacher. He's been doing taxidermy nearly his whole life, a skill he learned from his father, who started doing taxidermy as a teenager. He was actually interested when he was like 16, 17 years old, and they had um, like mail-in taxidermy where, where they would actually send you stuff through the mail. Like through the Sears catalog, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they'd send you like this little catalog or book every every month, 
But then, you know, he went in the military and all that. And when he got out, he, he opened up, he opened shop. But um, he just always, you know, there's a lot of people that deep down, they want to become a taxidermist. And they're thinking deer heads and, you know, and, you know, it's fun. In this beginner class, it's evenly split between men and women. Many are younger people who just have an innate curiosity about the process of taxidermy. Others have a scientific background. I mean, I have a biology degree, but I work in cell analysis, but I'm just at like a supervisor level, so I'm not like in the lab. <laughs> this is Marissa Flanagan. Her background in biology and her hobby of pinning insects piqued her interest in this class. So I came here for that class, and then I just kind of looked up all the classes that they do. <laughs> Some people cross the state line just to sign up for this class. And where did you come from? Dallas. Dallas, Texas. Why? <laughs> for the class? Yeah. You yeah. came all the way well, here no, we have, we have a we have a home here. Oh, so okay. We come like every few months, and we said, oh, let's... Time it for the class. Yeah, let's go to a taxidermy class. <laughs> yeah. We got plenty of mounts in the house. We just didn't. Now we, have a, we don't have a jackalope. Mm. Yeah, I came from San Diego. Actually, I came a few months ago, remember? And, yeah. And then these I, are frozen because they, they didn't get pulled the day before or something. I thought you looked... Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I came back, so... Nice. When I asked Doug how most of the classes break down, he says it's becoming increasingly popular with young people. Yeah, it's kind of a hidden industry. I call it a hidden industry because people don't realize how many taxidermists there are. I'd say the younger generation and people into um, like the jackalopes has exploded. It's called a uh, rogue taxidermy, where they dress things up and do stuff. That has exploded. There's like a deep desire in most hunters that hunt, how they would like to do taxidermy. Most of the time they won't, they won't get into it or anything. The soon-to-be jackalopes range in size and color. Many are white. Others have spots of black or gray. There are tan and brown ones as well. The rabbits used in this class are ethically sourced from a farm that raises them for reptile food. And they get them from a, a farm-raised place, but um, some uh, um, people actually eat rabbits. But also, they raise them to like feed snakes. So they're like snake food, or they're not like killed just for the purpose of taxing them. <laughs> Which is really an important issue. Is there anybody to like, you said they, we can take the feet and the skulls, but is there anybody that like needs the body that you can like donate it to so it doesn't get thrown away to like feed the snakes? I don't, you know, that's something our state needs is that somebody who does bone articulation, I get called all the time, which is like, you see the whole skeletons out there? Somebody gets into that, let me have your phone number. Common? What's that? Oh, that isn't something that's common? Like there aren't a lot of people? No, there's lots of people. There. Arizona just doesn't have any. Oh. As the class chats and gets to know each other, they work on putting some pliability back into the thawed rabbits. Doug demonstrates massaging the legs and bodies. At this point, the rabbits look like they've just been zonked out from anesthesia. 
just to be clear, these rabbits are in fact dead. Their heads flop about, their eyes are closed, but some have a bit of blood on their fur and faces. Marissa's rabbit is a pure snowy white, like the one from Alice in Wonderland. Um, how does it feel? It's um, stiff. It's kind of, yeah, it's it's kind of weird because it's, it's stiff because it's a little bit frozen, but uh, I mean, weirdly enough, feels like a rabbit up. that I've yeah. held yeah. before, just not soft. <laughs> Once the rabbits are malleable, the fur needs to be cleaned of any blood or bodily residue. Doug points to some white powder on the table. This powder is borax, it's a mineral. You can buy it at the grocery store, which is another thing I'm gonna be telling you guys through this whole thing. My dad was a taxidermist and my grandfather did a taxidermist. So like seven decades in our family. And back in the old days, you got a lot of your supplies from local businesses. Well, we still do that with everything we can. There's companies that will sell you this, but you can go to the store and buy it yourself. There's clay and all kinds of taxidermy supplies, big companies, but we know places in town where like, you can buy it. You're gonna get old school and new school taxidermy in this. Okay, another thing for the borax. Okay, you guys notice that there's uh, blood or any, you can take the borax and put it and it actually pulls blood out. So it works for clothing too. <laughs> <laughs> and it works for clothing. I was just thinking, I've never heard of that. It's like, it, and you could put some on your dessert topping. I'm just kidding. No, not at all. Once dusted in borax, it's time to start the first incision. All right, I'm gonna give you a little education and we're gonna go for it. I call it the 80-20 rule. 80% prep and work, 20% of the part of your guys we wanna to get to, which is the skin, putting it over the form and actually doing the taxidermy. So I want you to take your time, but at the same time, we wanna get through that 80% to get to the 20%. That's like, the seriously most enjoyable part. And I get to see people's faces light up. And then I wanted to ask you, does anybody know what taxidermy means? Okay, when we have this skin and we go to put it on here and fit it, and we're gonna put eyes and all kinds of stuff in clay, and um, we're gonna be putting the skin over and moving it around. We're gonna be taxiing. What's epidermis? Taxidermy. So we're going to be taxiing the dermis, the skin. <laughs> there we go. All right. No, that was... <laughs> that's the truth. He's a good straight man. Oh, God. Yeah, I thought that was a joke, right? <laughs> what? No, it wasn't. Ta taxidermy. Taxiing the skin. We're going to taxi the dermis. We're going to move the skin around.
Okay, so at this point, it might be a good idea to give you a bit of the background and history of taxidermy. Taxidermy comes from the Greek words taxis, which means arrangement, and derma, which means skin. And like Doug said, you are taxiing the dermis or arranging it on a form. The art of taxidermy is actually older than you might think. Experts say it began in Europe between the 16th and 17th centuries. Wealthy world explorers would hunt and collect rare animals from other countries to bring home and exhibit. Some of these animals would be displayed in what was called cabinets of curiosities, or wonder rooms. And those lucky enough to get a chance to visit would get to see pieces of the wider world they never knew existed, or had only heard about in stories. The lionized British zoologist William Swainson wrote this in his 1840 Treatises on Taxidermy. Taxidermy is an art absolutely essential to be known to every naturalist, since, without it, he cannot pursue his studies or preserve his own materials. Taxidermy, particularly of birds, was a very popular Victorian decoration in homes of the rich. Over time, taxidermy's popularity grew along with the quality of specimens. According to the book *The History of Taxidermy*, the 1891 census of London revealed that 369 taxidermists worked in the city. Put another way, and that's about one taxidermist for every 15,000 Londoners. This era was also an age of furious scientific exploration. Many famous museums opened, such as the British Museum of Natural History in 1881, and New York City's American Museum of Natural History in 1869. And just to put that in perspective, the New York Museum opened just four years after the American Civil War. Fast forward to the beginning of the 20th century. It's after the First World War. And taxidermy's popularity began to decline. This was due to several factors, including the rise of photography and film. Both were much simpler and often cheaper options than bringing home a carcass and stuffing it. The mountain goat, a vicious customer in his own home, seems to like his new one, and the baby antelope doesn't mind a bit so long as mother's there. Old man elephants brought his trunk for a long stay. And among the most interesting of the newcomers is a family of tigers. The youngsters are a little sleepy after their long journey. Around this time, natural history museums in America, specifically, had their collections full. You could still see many of these dioramas today in places like the Field Museum in Chicago, or the one in New York, the American Museum of Natural History. There was another change that also happened in the 20th century. Governments around the world began passing wildlife conservation acts. Interest in preserving both wildlife and their habitats became a priority for some countries, and for a time, taxidermy reverted back to something primarily trophy hunters used to preserve their catch. Now there were still some museums and even national parks that would stuff animals that had been killed either by accident, natural causes, or due to a need to remove an aggressive animal from human settlements. 
But recently, taxidermy is seeing a revival, and a rather bizarre one at that. This new rise in popularity has set aside the interest in preserving animals purely for scientific or trophy needs. Now we're seeing younger people and more women take up the craft, and specializing in something called rogue taxidermy, where they dress things up and do stuff. That has exploded. Think of the film Dinner for Schmucks with Steve Carell. Are you okay? Ah, oh, yeah, I'm okay. Tim Conrad, yeah. uh, are you are you sure you're okay? I didn't see you. What were you doing? Oh, well, I saw this little guy in the street and I was trying to save him. Uh, I think it's dead. Yes, that's why he couldn't run away. A couple more seconds, you would have squished him. Nice pelt, though. I'm sort of giving him a second chance, you know? In the words of John Lennon, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not. This place has actually opened my eyes to a, a whole nother door because um, I didn't do rogue taxidermy, but these people here started doing it at these tables right here, and now I get into rogue taxidermy, and I've got some cool stuff in my shop that I've done here that I would never sell, you know? Um, I've seen a girl on social media do rogue taxidermy with little critters sitting in rocking chairs and doing it. She has a waiting list that's as long as my arm or longer, and she's getting repaid really good. It's not just the guys doing a deer head or an elk or a bear. Or, and there's plenty of that going on too. Okay, back to the class. All right, we're gonna cut a ring around this and you guys can watch. Here, Doug points to about four-ish inches or so behind the rabbit's shoulders. The goal is to have enough excess fur so you have plenty to work with when you pull it over the rabbit head form. Or in taxidermy terms, a shoulder round. Think of any stuffed deer head you might have seen, where it's the head, neck, and just a small part of the chest. I'm kind of picking my circle around. I'm going to try and do a straight circle around it, but since I got extra, it doesn't have to be straight. It's just, we've got... Taking a fresh scalpel, with its razor edge gleaming, Doug shows where to make the first cut. The angle of this blade, sometimes you want to use the tip if it's, or sometimes you slice. And when I go through the fur, I'm just going to get a little brave here, and I'm going to do a slice through the fur. Now I'm going to try and find if it did anything. And it did, it did a little tiny slice. Okay, I actually cut into the body a little bit. I'm gonna keep going. And I spread it out a little bit more. And this guy's kind of frozen, so. When I can get a good start, maybe this, then I'll, I'll work that skin off. And then it, it's easier to go across the belly because you can, you can really see. And I'm not afraid to cut into the body right now. I, if, if, there's times you can just get, just get the skin off, but he's a little bit frozen, which is good, which is good because rigor mortis is setting in, bacteria setting in. Um, 
Yeah, the, the longer this, like, like this rabbit was yeah. completely thawed out and it's set in the sink all day today and we tried to work on them tomorrow, we'd start working on them, there's a possibility all the hair will fall out. Mm. So the colder, the better. Now see, I worked a little bit of skin off. I can tell what's skin and what's carcass now. The students follow suit, but with a bit more caution than Doug. And there's like a little thin membrane of skin. If you're cutting and it's not coming apart, and you're cutting and it's not coming apart, give it like an, a kind of like a test slice. It's, it's almost invisible. But once you get through that little bit of membrane, it starts peeling. And I want to show everybody real quick, and then I'm, I'll just come walking around. Once you, once you get something going, watch how I'm skinning this. Now, I've got my fingers kind of pressed apart and I'm pulling the skin. I've got the, instead of slicing like I was, I'm using the tip of my knife to change the angle. In any way that works for you. But I'm just, I'm cutting, I'm pulling, I'm cutting, I'm pulling. And I, I'm trying to just do a little bit of a C. Once you get it going, I can tell what's skin and what's not skin. And the secret is to get the skin off. And that's with any animal. Soon the rabbit's muscles are visible. They are a deep purplish red. You would think the smell of dead rabbit would be strong, but it wasn't. Here's Marissa Flanagan again. Was how this is so much better than long. like when I did stuff in school because it was all formaldehyde, formaldehyde yeah. and it doesn't smell like that, so it's not. That was what I was worried. I was worried no. that it was going to be preserved when we got here, and it would smell like the formaldehyde. I was like, should I bring like a? Because that's the only thing that grosses me out is that smell. It's like chemically. We're going to peel forward, and if anybody wants to take a quick look, I know it's, it's your first time doing this, it's, but see how I'm working the skin forward? Where do we stop? At the neck? Actually, if you get it peeled forward, we're going to do some, oh man, you're going right along. Blood and fluids are soaked up by the now generous amounts of borax that covers the table. As the skin is carefully peeled from the body, it's time to cut off the front feet. Oh, here comes nippers. <laughs> okay, here's his little foot. There's actually, you know, two ways to do this, but this is the more speedy. We're gonna find where his little wrist is on his foot. I'm gonna take the snippers and actually cut his foot off. Okay, now when you go to, when you're peeling, you can go to peel, peel it forward up over that leg. And you know, there might be some membrane cutting and stuff, but we want to pull that leg through. Conversation turns to how each person wants to spruce up their jackalope. Yeah. I was thinking about accessory <laughs> ideas right there. as well. Yeah, um, have some cool like, there you go. Silver horns, oh, but they're way you. too big. Sure. So I'm thinking maybe just like a okay, little eye kind of angle it this way. <laughs> we're going to yes. be following the yeah. skull. Yeah, we were, we were doing 
we do Christmas rats as call. It's a Christmas rat class. Maybe. <laughs> but there, there was another rat class we did, and um, one of the guys, and I'm telling you, he was six foot two, probably weighed about 300 pounds, big old a beard, you know, big old hunting looking, whatever guy, you know. So he, he leaves the Michaels on lunch break and he comes back and he put together this little bear rug and he had his, <laughs> he had his rat laying down on the rug and he told me about Burt Reynolds being in Playgirl years ago and, and, and so he did a Burt Reynolds scene with his rat. <laughs> Singing in the Rain Rats, um, Bob Ross Rats. <laughs> Little tiny afros. Yes. <laughs> oh, Singing in the Rain. Yeah, he's on a, on a street post, a beer can. Once the fur is peeled up to the head, it's a gentle process of working around the ears without damaging them. Doug demonstrates how to carefully cut through the cartilage without damaging the external ear flaps. So did you get through both ears? I think so. Okay. Yeah, they, they should come clear in your back of the skin. Okay, there's, okay, you're through the ears, but you still got to get through a big chunk of meat here. And this meat... It can go with the skin, we'll take it off later, but um, you should go through this till you come back to skin. Kind of around the whole ear bulb, it's like a circle. Around the ear? Oh, I'm sorry. A little to the left of that, and a little bit to the right, back and forth. But, but, but watch where the skin's at. If you end up cutting a little tiny hole, that means you, you went too far. But. Uh, well, that's what I don't want to do. There's membrane and stuff. You just you got to cut. cut that. Yeah, I actually get. Do you just yank yours out, or did you really sit there and cut for the leg? Okay. Once the ears are done, it's more delicate work around the eyes and mouth. Here the skin is really thin and delicate. One wrong cut and you could end up with eye juice all over your hands. If, if you cut through this you, and pull forward, you can get through it, but I'm telling you it will help you a lot better if you can just pinch this because my fingers are down up against his skull again. and That's like three cuts. Okay, again, to the left a little bit. To the right a little bit. Sorry. Okay, I did some kind of cut there. I don't know what it is, but it's not in his fur. Okay, now for the eyes, everybody. If I can get everybody to watch, and I'll do one maybe this direction, one that direction. I've got the skin pulled up to the left and to the right of the eye, so again, like the ear. See, it's a little bit forward and on the top, a little forward. And again, I'm, I'm pulling on it. Okay, I locate where the skin is, but I'm gonna back up, oh God, I'd say about halfway between his, his skull and, and there. And I'm gonna do a little cut and see what happens as I'm pulling forward. 
His eyes start to reveal oh, wow. himself. There's a membrane we got to cut through. But see, we don't want to get too close to that skin on the fur. If, if it's not moving forward on the eye, you can go a little closer to the skin. There's an eyelid and some meat that needs to go with the skin so we don't cut the eyelid up. And if you accidentally cut the eyelid up, we pin it back together. And I'm, I'm almost starting to cut directly over the top of his eye and it will, see how the skin opened up? Mm -hmm. You can actually see his eyelid. So you can, you can actually see a little better now where not to cut and where to cut. So we got past the eyes. Now, the sides of the mouth, okay? You go from the opening on the inside of his mouth to skin. When you're skinning the chin, especially going forward, the chin gets really small. You want to be careful and stay close to the skin. But on the side of his mouth, there's an area, the opening on the side of his mouth. I'm going to change the angle of my blade. I'm going to go behind the skin a little bit, and I'm just going to cut right through. Look what I did. I cut right through some meat. Can you see the opening of his mouth? Once the skins are off the bodies, the now half-naked rabbits are collected for disposal. Around the table are now nine floppy rabbit heads, with Doug's example included. The next step is to clean the inside thoroughly with borax to dry out the skin. Doug explains that on such a small animal, you don't necessarily need to tan the hide, but tanning would preserve it for a much longer time. However, the borax dries out the skin, so it will set cleanly over the form it will rest on. But what about bigger animals? Or what if you want to preserve the bones? Doug goes with the crock pot method. Can we use Actually, yeah, yeah, but there's, there's wars on how to do them. You don't want to boil, boil. That's oh, your... You want to bring it up to, if you, if you bring it up to a boil, then turn it down to a simmer. For preserving smaller, more delicate bones, like rabbit bones, Doug says he'll clean out the eyes and brain before gently cooking the skull to get the rest of the meat off. I cook things all kinds of different ways, but I would actually, you don't have to, but I actually, I like to take the eyes out and then I like to run something right up into the brain cavity, mix that up, which is like a wire. I put it on a drill and just spin all the brains around. <laughs> and, and I rinse the brain out because there's all this yeah. oil in the brain. But if the eyes are out and the brain's out, and then you put it in, like you can get a just, just a burner and um, put some Dawn dish soap in it because that helps degrease it. Another way people clean their carcasses is by feeding them to carnivorous beetles. Yeah. Then there's the beetle colony. The beetle. I got a guy that works part-time for me that has beetles. 
Can you like order beetles to help with the problem? <laughs> yeah. 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 So you're free too. Yeah, yeah. the beetle colonies. You can go into business with beetles. But look, you gotta have culture. You gotta have a controlled temperature for them. It stinks. You gotta have ventilation. Um, and when you don't have stuff to feed them, you gotta go buy them hamburger or stuff. Stick That's what we were saving our extra stuff for, my beetle guy. When I was trying to think of before, the, we could have saved all of these. The beetle guy. And, and the beetle guy would have been happy to take them, a couple of them would have. Now that the skins are cleaned and any remaining excess meat is removed, they're ready to be fitted over their forms. Doug hand crafts all his animal forms and even sells them to other taxidermists. Made of quick expanding foam, they're easy to cut and carve to fit under different size skins. Let, let me see how loose it is just to see. Yeah, that, that'll be fine. Yeah. That's a good fit. That's, wow, that's, wild. that's a good fit. So It'll actually constrict a little bit when it dries, right? What's that? Will it constrict a little bit? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything's going to shrink to some degree. And then if, when we get the mouth pinned and everything like that, the mouth's going to try and shrink. But if it's pinned good, it'll, it'll Yeah, stay. I want to I wanna bring his mouth together so he's not like... <laughs> yeah. Scream. Yeah. Each student now fits their skin over a custom form. It looks very much like pulling on a sock except it's a rabbit's head. It is a bit alarming to see how the floppy skins suddenly pop back to life. Okay, you've got, everybody's got their, their little wabbit <laughs> fitted. All right, this is the part I enjoy too, it's just, man. Kind of fit his skin where his nose is, is, is kind of even. And what I want you to do is take your finger and push it in his eye and see if if that eye's pretty much lined up with that indentation in the form. It should be. You move the skin around. Next, the rabbits get a trim, removing the excess fur that would have gone over the shoulders. Then they are mounted onto plaques. Now it's time to bring some true expression to the rabbits. So I want you to take something either your scissors, scalpel, whatever's nearby, it's kind of sharp. And I want you to just slightly gouge into the center of that eye. We're going to be putting clay in that, and we want something to anchor the clay in. That's all. It doesn't have to be that big, a little, little bit cone-shaped hole in the, in the center of the eye. Okay, I've got a big blob of clay here. I'm going to end up like passing it around, just grab a chunk out of it. And... Okay. I rolled off a little ball. And see this indentation right here? I'm going to push it in there and make sure some gets pushed into that little hole. And I'm going to make it... Okay, I need a little bit more. I'm going to make it even so you can't even tell, you know, there's a hole there. But see, I put some on a little extra. Now I'm, I'm kind of spreading and getting it off. And here, Doug shows how to create the eye socket in eyelid shapes, which will hold the glass eye. I'm going to do, I'm going to do both of them. And, and a good way to just start while we're doing this 
you got some clay on both sides, lay your rabbit in front of you and start looking at it like seeing if things are even. They're going to be even off this, but it's a good start to, to look at the rabbit. So I've got it smooth and filled. Now this does not have to be perfect, perfect. Once the clay is molded with the proper expression, the glass eyes are pushed in. You want to get them in place where they're looking kind of good. And this, this is a part where personality comes in because some people might do it a little thicker, a little thinner. Um, the eyes are like seriously the most important thing in a lot of areas because it's the first thing somebody looks at. And if you want more of a lifelike look to them, you need to add all this stuff in here. Now, when we're doing eyes, we can actually, just so you know in the taxidermy world, you can actually use a smaller eye. And we close those eyes up around that eyeball. You can use a bigger eye and fit it on, and there's glass. The eyeballs that they had for jackrabbits, they're huge. These are a little bit smaller, is what we usually use here. But these, these are a little bit bigger, so we're going to use those. Once the eyes are set, the skins are pulled back over the form and taxied into place. The final steps are coming up. On the mouth, I really like to use these bigger pins. You can use the smaller ones and push them in and not never see them again, but it'll show little silver, silver pieces. But sometimes people come in here, they'll work on their mouths, but hardly do anything on it again. So that's how it ends up. So. But you got these two big old cheeks for his top lip. You want to get a pin in the front corner of one, see? And you want to find the center. Now you want to pull it tight and push that pin in and leave that like that. Now that's just first his top lip, okay? I got it pushed into the lip. Now I'm going to bring it over here. And these are going to want to shrink to some degree. If you got it pinned real good, these are pretty long pins. I like to get a little bit of, I like to smash them together, the, the skin together a little bit. And these pins will get pulled out later. We'll pull them out after it dries. Okay, I got, got his top lip pushed together. Now the bottom lip, I can tell you, you could make them smile if you want. But get one right in the center, the very center of his bottom of his lip. And pull that up into that spot where it fits and push that in. Okay. There is quite a bit of meat around his mouth that's left, which is which not going to hurt a thing. But if I left this just like this, the sides of his mouth are probably going to stretch open. So it doesn't hurt both top and bottom lip, put like two more pins at least, three, two to three pins. I'm gonna make mine smile, so what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna pull his side of his face up, and his whole cheek came up. I'm gonna make him smile. And I, I'm putting up just, just kind of a, oh, well that one didn't match the other side. And you might not see that too much now, but when he's up there hanging on the wall, he's gonna, Smiling down. Right, and, and I've got I've got a little bit more work to do to that, but to ensure this mouth staying together, I'm gonna put another pin in 
here. And I got the little smaller ones. Sometimes I like to use the smaller ones because it hides all this work today. I get to look at it today without a whole bunch of stuff poking out of it. Before long, everyone's rabbits are starting to look like a character out of the movie Hellraiser. With the mouths now pinned, it's a matter of setting the ears, and then lastly, putting on the antlers. Nearly five hours after we sat down, the storm outside blew over, and eight amateur taxidermists now sit proudly with their creations. The curious cluster of jackalopes with pins in their smiles stare eerily up at their creators. Stepping outside into the rain-washed city of Phoenix, it feels like we've all gone through some sort of rite of passage. If you're curious about trying your hand at taxidermy, Curious Nature lists the upcoming classes on their website. The Christmas Rats class is said to be wildly popular. And that's it for this gruesome Halloween episode. If you're feeling squeamish, share the feeling with a friend by sending them this podcast. And if you're not already subscribed, find us and follow us on your favorite podcasting app. Do you have questions about the Valley? Or are curious about what makes Phoenix Phoenix? Send us your inquiry to valley101 at azcentral.com. Also, come find us on social media. We're at AZC Podcasts. For Valley 101, I'm Kaylee Monahan. We'll be haunting your podcast apps next week.